Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Go back to that slide in that song. Um, My God is bigger, better, stronger, greater than, yeah. I don't know about you guys, that just, that hit me this morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Chris Genders. Um, I've been a friend of New Life for a long time, guest preached here before. Um, the last time that I, I preached here was in January, right after I had COVID, like it was the day after my quarantine was over, um, and then I was leaving for Colorado um, for a training for Youth for Christ, I work for Youth for Christ, and then in uh, February 14th, I went to the doctor um, for a chest congestion, and uh, all of a sudden, I'm being sent to the ER. Um, not for a chest congestion, I had pneumonia in my right lung, um, but I had an eight-year-old uh, fibrillation. Uh, my heart was out of rhythm, had no clue. And all of a sudden, I'm in the hospital for three days and have a cardiologist now. Um, I had a procedure on April 15th called an ablation to restore the heart's rhythm back. And like during all of that time, Words like these were things I needed to hear. That that God was bigger, better, stronger than illness. That God is bigger, better, stronger than fill in the blank. And and I think a lot of times we come to church, um, I loved a a prayer that one of the people in our our worship team prayed as we started the service this morning, um, that that the church is a place for those who need healing. It's a, it's a hospital. It's a place for the sick to come to find hope and restoration and healing. And, and so I don't know about you guys, but I don't know what your, your year has been like so far, um, but there are moments where we need to be reminded of these words. And I just, I just wanted to stop there for a moment before I get into the message this morning and, and just pray for us. Um, I, I don't know you. I don't know your stories. But in a room like this, chances are there's at least one person who came here today feeling lost, feeling hopeless, feeling overwhelmed. I just want to take a moment and recognize that and thank you for being here. I hope you encounter God this morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of these artists and tech people to lead us into your presence, into your throne room. Father, thank you that you are bigger and better and stronger than anything we will face in this world. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that our prayers are going to get answered the way we want them to get answered. It doesn't mean that we even find healing and restoration this side of eternity. And yet, you promise us healing. Someday, eventually. This side or that side. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is bigger and better and stronger than anything we will face in this world. And thank you for a place like New Life and churches all around the world that are gathering this morning where people can come together to encounter you, experience you, learn about you, worship you, cry out to you, kneel down to you, confess to you, repent to you, uh, submit their life to you, begin anew this morning. 
So Father, I pray for your spirit just to fill this place that when we leave here today, we know that we've been in your presence. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for that. Uh, you don't really have a choice. I've got the mic, right? You don't have a choice what I did there. Um, but thank you for humoring me in that moment. Um, I think we just need to hear that sometimes. So again, my name is Chris Genders. Uh, I work for Youth for Christ. I was on staff for a long time at Great Oaks Community Church in Germantown Hills. Um, walked beside New Life for a long, long time. And uh, so I love coming here to guest preach. We are starting a new series uh, today called Supporting Cast. And it's this idea of um, ordinary people. We're going to, over the next few weeks, um, I don't know how, many, how long the series is, but we're going to meet ordinary people uh, who have an extraordinary God. And today we're going we're gonna to look at everybody's favorite character in the Bible, everybody's favorite book of the Bible, Habakkuk. Um, nobody knows that book. Nobody knows where that's at. I, even, even as a pastor for years, I had to go to the table of contents and say, like, where is that? In my Bible. So, in my Bible, which is not your Bible, my Bible is on page 1484, so it's about there. So, if you want to go to your table of contents like I did, find Habakkuk, H A B A K K U K, probably saying it wrong, I don't know, um, but we're going to be in that, in that book today. Here's the question that Habakkuk is wrestling with um, Why does God allow evil and suffering? Why does God allow evil and suffering? It's a question none of us have asked, right? No, it's a question all of us have asked. Uh, my daughter is a junior, well, finishing. She's got finals next week, and then she's done. She'll be a senior at Metamora High School next year. Uh, but for her history class, they're writing a paper right now as kind of a final project, and it, it was philosophy, and you can choose anything you want. And so she had a number of things, and she's like, what about this topic, Dad? What about this topic? What about this topic? What about this topic? And uh, she's a very strong believer in Jesus. And one of the questions was, you know, why does God allow evil and suffering? If he's so good, why does he allow evil and suffering? And she asked me this question. She goes, is there really enough to write about on that one? I love her faith. It's so simple. And I'm like, yeah, there, there's quite a bit that we can write on that. Um, just a quick Google search brought up to just a question of why does God allow evil? 711 million results on Google. Might be enough to write a three-page paper, honey. You know, we got this. But think about it. It's a question that everybody has asked, believers and non-believers. I work with a lot of students who don't know Jesus. They're far from God. And this is one of the more common questions. Because they look around the world and they see evil. They see suffering. They see human trafficking. They see abuse and neglect. They see racism. They see war and terrorism. This last week they saw school shootings. And they're going, really? Your God is good? Your God is, is here and present and active and engaged? And it's a question they ask me all the time and we process through. And if I'm honest, it's, it's a question that I wrestle with sometimes. Like, how can God allow all of these things to happen? And so Habakkuk is, is going to help answer that question. The reality is, we can't understand God. We can't fathom God. We are finite natural beings trying to understand an infinite supernatural being. And this question has been debated for centuries. We're not going to solve it on May 29th, 2022 at New Life uh, Christian Church this morning. But we're going to tackle it. Uh, so Habakkuk is writing around the 7th BC. Um, he is uh, in the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, he's a prophet. 
the northern kingdom has already been conquered, and the, the, uh, the Chaldeans, uh, eventually the Babylonians, are kind of on the, the borders of the nation, right? And so kind of looking forward to history, you know, Babylon sacks Jerusalem in, I think, 10th century um, BC, or I, I don't know. I don't know how the BC thing works, sorry. Brain fog, when the microphone and spotlight's on and all the eyes are on you, you can't do math real quick and you figure out history. Um, but he wrestles with this question. But interestingly, it's, it's not about the Babylonians at first. It's not about the Chaldeans who, who have sacked the northern kingdom. It's about his own people. He, he asks this question, how long, O Lord, will you allow evil and suffering to continue? He's looking at his own people, the, the people of God, the nation of Judah, and he sees how evil they are and, and how much suffering they're enacting. And, and he questions God. He goes, God, aren't you going to do something about this? I mean, look at your people. They're evil. They're horrible. They're doing wrong things. He says this in Habakkuk 1, verses 2 and 3, and I'm, I'm teaching out of the, the um, um, why is my brain not working this morning? Christian Standard Bible um, this morning. So for chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, he says, How long, Lord, must I call for help? And you do not listen or cry out to you about violence, and, and you do not save. Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing, and conflict escalates. Every now and again, I like to see how Eugene Peterson in the message wrote some of these verses. So here's how he translated or paraphrased these verses. He says, God, how long do I have to cry out for help before you listen? How many times do I have to yell, help, murder, police, before you come to the rescue? Why do you force me to look at evil, to stare at trouble in the face, of, in the face day after day? Anarchy and violence break out, quarrels and fights all over the place, law and order fall to pieces, justice is a joke. Wow. Habakkuk is a prophet of God calling out God. He's saying, where are you? How long are you going to allow this to happen? Here's some questions that I wrestled through this week. Do we get overwhelmed by the injustices of this world? Do they compel us to action? Do they compel us to, to cry out to God? Does the sinfulness of our world frustrate you at all? Or have you become numb to it? Studies have shown that social media has actually decreased our amount of compassion as human beings. It's really easy. We, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on whatever platform, and, and we come across something that's sad, and, and normally, historically, we'd learn about that, and we'd have great empathy, and we would sit there for a while, and we'd read it, and we're like, oh, that's too bad. Hey, a cat video. Hey, so-and-so's graduation party. Hey, right? Like, social media has rewired us to be less compassionate towards other human beings when they're in, in trouble. You know, I think about prior to social media, when I grew up, I had three and a half channels on a good day with our antenna, um, but every now and again, you see those commercials that come on about the starving children in Africa or the animals being abused. What was our natural response? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm a jerk, but I would like, oh, I don't, I don't want to look at this. I've changed the channel. Like, I don't want to be convicted of that, right? I don't want to be confronted with that. I, I just became numb to the evils of this world. 
You know, last week we, we talked about um, anger. Uh, that was our, our final sermon in that series. And I was preaching at Morton campus, and we talked a lot about um, anger that's sinful and unrighteous anger. But then I, I, I closed with this question. Are there things that we should be angry about in this world? Are, are there things that God would look at and go, this makes me mad. Why is the church not making you mad? Why does this not anger you? It's called righteous anger. Here's another question I wrestled through. Do I get overwhelmed by my own sinfulness? Am I so easily focused on the speck in others' eyes and I ignore the plank in my own eye? What's your response to evil in this world? Yours or others? Well, Habakkuk goes on and and he discovers that God is not going to leave evil unanswered. Habakkuk 1 verse 5 says, Look at the nations and observe, this is God speaking, Be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. We talk a lot about how God is a God of mercy, but we also have to understand that with mercy goes justice. They are hand in hand. It's the same God. This, the evil of this world has to be accounted for. Think about a courtroom environment. A good judge would never let everybody off the hook for their crimes, right? You wouldn't sit as a judge very long if every, every person who came in front of you convicted of a crime was let go with no consequences or punishments, right? Why do we think God's going to do the same thing? The evils in our world have to have a response. Our sin must be accounted for. God will not leave evil unanswered. Habakkuk goes on and discovers that sometimes God's response is not always what we anticipate. Verse 6, God says, look, I'm doing something about the evil of the nation of Judah, your people, my people, God says. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territory not its own. And this just makes Habakkuk go crazy. What? You're going to do what? No, 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 God, that's not what I was talking about. Uh, you know, God's response to the evil injustice of his own people, of God's chosen people, is to use an even more evil people to punish them. And, and, and Habakkuk cannot comprehend this. Uh, you know, the movie Maverick has come out recently, right? So, you know, Top Gun, the original, there's this scene at the end where um, Maverick's back in the, the fighter cockpit and he, he's in a dogfight and his co-pilot's like, hey, we got enemy MiGs behind us. You know, they're getting closer, getting closer, getting closer. And, and what does Tom Cruise say? He's like, he's like I'm going to slow down and let him get closer. All right? And his co-pilot's like, you're going to do what? Oh, no, come on now. Right? And then the famous line, I'm going to hit the brakes, fly right by, like engage, right? all that kind of stuff. But this is, this is Habakkuk's co-pilot moment. He, he cannot fathom what God is doing in this moment. You're going to do what? This is a moment where Habakkuk, and as a result, us, we, we have to begin to realize that God is sovereign. God can do whatever he wants, when he wants we have to come to the point where we understand and embrace that we are the clay and he's the potter. He's the pilot 
where the co-pilot sitting in the back. You know, think about Jesus. Jesus was not the Messiah that the Jews expected. God answered an issue. God addressed sin of this world. God sent the Messiah, but it wasn't what the people expected. He wasn't a political leader. He wasn't a military leader. He wasn't really even a religious leader, not as defined by religious leaders of that day. See, we have to allow God to be God, and this is something that Habakkuk is learning in this moment. But he's still in shock. And so he does the, the one thing that he knows to do. He cries out for God's mercy. Look at Habakkuk 1, 12 and 13. He says, Are you not from eternity, Lord my God, my Holy One? You will not die. Lord, you appointed them to, to execute judgment, the Chaldeans. You appointed the Chaldeans to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Your eyes are, are too pure to look on evil. You, you can't tolerate wrongdoings. Why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you, you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? And if you fast forward to the third chapter, verse 2, Habakkuk says, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk is so astounded, so dumbfounded by what God is about to do. It is completely unexpected. And in response, he does the one thing he knows. He pleads for God's mercy. You know, we, we talked last week about anger. We looked at scripture that said that, that God is slow to anger, abounding in love. And, and these are the attributes that Habakkuk cries out to God about. He, he cries out and he says, God, you can't do this because of your very nature, who you are. These are your people you are a chosen nation. You love them. God, remember, you love them. Show mercy. Do what you will, but show mercy. God doesn't change his mind. He goes on, he tells Habakkuk, he says, yes, I'm, I'm going to send them in. They're going to conquer they're going to destroy, they're going to kill, they're going to deport. And Habakkuk now standing in the right place before God as the sovereign father, as the clay being molded by the potter, he says these words in verse 16 of chapter 3. He said, I heard and I, I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I, I trembled where I stood. Now I must wait quietly. I wait quietly for the, the day of distress to come against the people invading us. You know, I, I have a coworker who's going through a really rough time. His father-in-law is on hospice. His daughter just got diagnosed with very aggressive cancer. In the midst of navigating all this, he, his wife got covid I mean, it's just everything is kind of happening to him in this moment. 
And, and, and he doesn't hide the difficulty. He doesn't hide the pain. He doesn't hide the hurt. And yet he, he keeps saying this line about his daughter who has aggressive cancer. God will heal her. This side of eternity or the next side. Well, God's going to heal her. She'll be fine. She knows Jesus. And, and I'm sitting there as a, a, a guy who has a 20-year-old son and a 17-year-old daughter Imagining saying that about my kid, who may or may not survive this, this bout of cancer. And the faith that he has to know that God will ultimately provide healing, ultimately provide justice, it's almost unfathomable to me. I heard a pastor years ago uh, did a sermon called The Land Between And he talks about how we have these hopes and these promises from God that are in the future. We're going to experience them someday, and yet we're not there. We have the Garden of Eden when everything was perfect. We have the the future restoration of all things. We have these promises, and we're in the land between. And he said, what do we do when we're in that land between? This is where we find ourselves today. God will provide healing. God will provide restoration. God will provide justice for all the wrongs and evils of this world. God will address evil. It's going to go answered this side of eternity or the next. And that's a hope and a promise that that we have to hold on to. And, And I love how Habakkuk closes out his book because he trusts God despite the circumstances. He's wrestled with God. In fact, I learned just this morning that the name Habakkuk in Hebrew means wrestle. Like he's one who embraces, who wrestles. And he's wrestled now with God through this moment. And he says these words, and these are words that, that when I discovered him a few years back, they became central to my, my encouragement to other people. When people are going through difficult times, I, I take them to Habakkuk, which always surprises them because they're like, never even heard of that book. But I tell the story of who Habakkuk is and and what's happening to the nation. And I share these verses with them, 17 and 18. It says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls. Remember, he's in an agrarian society right? Most of us are probably not farmers. We do live in central Illinois. We're surrounded by farmers, but most of us are not sitting here going, oh, my sheep, they're just not producing. Like my crops, they're not growing this year, right? Most of us are not there. So remember, he's in an agrarian society. What he's saying is when everything is falling apart around you, when your world is falling apart, when life is not going the way you thought it was going to go, your, your family is struggling, your work is struggling, your friendships are struggling. When all of that is happening, remember that God is still good. Despite your circumstances. Habakkuk says it this way. He says, though all of those things happen, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. God is still good despite our circumstances. God is still good, despite the evils of this world. God is still good, despite any suffering that you're going to go through. So what do we do with all of this? 
It's always the question I, I, I tackle. And I don't want to leave you with just understanding about God, but how does this apply to your daily life? Well, I think as we wrestle through this question of evil and suffering and God still being good, there's a few things that we can, we can take away. Number one, recognize that, that not all suffering is bad. I know that sounds maybe a little bit like an oxymoron, but let me illustrate. The pain of childbirth results in joy, right? I've never given birth, but I've watched my wife give birth. It's painful. It's suffering. And yet there's joy at the end. Working the land to produce a harvest, that's hard work. And yet we gain food from that labor and that toil. We experience pain in our body, and it's a a warning sign to us that something needs attention, that we might need medical attention. That pain, while we don't like pain, is actually a good thing for us. It helps draw us into the doctor's office. Similarly, sometimes pain helps draw us towards God in ways that, that other things won't do. So recognize that not all suffering is bad. Recognize also that sometimes the suffering that you're experiencing, that I'm experiencing, is because of my own bad decisions. I I could point my fingers at other people, I can blame the world, I can blame whatever, but if I'm honest with myself, I made a mistake. I did something I wasn't supposed to do, and therefore there are natural consequences for this. So don't look at all pain and suffering in your life and and think it's evil and it's Satan and it's somebody else's fault. Sometimes we got to look in the mirror and be honest. I did that. But then there's this thing, and I'm, I'm growing in my understanding of this. I, I watched Youth for Christ national leaders walk us through COVID. And one of the things that they did was they, they embraced times of lament. Periods of, of time where you just sat and you, you cried out to God, recognizing that, that life is hard. It is difficult. There's pain and suffering we're going through. And it's not as if God doesn't know that, but he wants to hear our hearts. I mean, we have an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. It's a lament to God. It's crying out to God that, God, we are suffering. We are in pain. We need to embrace lament. We can't become numb to the evils and the injustices of this world. But we don't stop there. Sometimes people sit and lament longer than they should because we also have hope. We also have promises from God. We can rejoice that there will be an end to evil and suffering. Uh, and we, we, we see the end of the book, Revelation, a, a new heaven, a new earth, no more tears, no more death, no more sin. All of that is wiped away. And we have a new reality with God. I love what Romans 8.18 says. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Let me read that to you one more time. Romans 8.18. I consider that our present sufferings, everything we're going through in this world, the difficulties that Uh, the consequences of our own decisions, the consequences of other people's actions, the consequences of living in a broken world, all of those sufferings, the the present sufferings, they are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then lastly, I I would say that we're called to overcome evil with good. Uh, To step into places of injustice 
to carry the, the name of Jesus into those places. And God is calling us to step into the suffering of this world, to bring peace out of chaos, healing out of pain. It's been a historic trademark of the followers of Jesus. We have always moved into suffering, to alleviate suffering, to address suffering. I mean, modern hospitals exist because historically Christians took care of the sick and, and those who needed help. So we have, to, we have to overcome evil with good. We can't just recognize evil and injustice in the world, lament over that evil and injustice in the world, and then rejoice that there's promises in the future. No, God would call us to step into that. And so my, my question for you is, are there things in this world that, that should anger you, that are wrong and evil with this world? And, and is God calling you to step into those places I mean, there, there's a myriad of answers for those questions of what those things could be. And only you know where your heart and your passions lie to address injustice. But maybe today is the day that you need to take that first step to do something about that injustice. I have a, an author. Uh, I don't know if he's an author. He's more of a writer. He, he posts daily on Facebook, and they're, they're a little long. Um, but his insight is just amazing, and I love it. And uh, I, I've got time. I wasn't sure if I was going to have time to read it or not. Um, I want to read to you one of his most recent posts after the school shooting in Texas. So this is from Sean Dietrich. It says, An old woman who shall remain anonymous arrived in Uvalde, Texas, early this morning driving a 2009 Ford with high mileage and bad tires. She had a back seat full of flowers. She drove a long way. The woman placed flowers on the crosses recently erected in memory of the 21 killed in the Robb Elementary shooting. She came all the way from Pittsburgh to be here. It was about 1,530 miles, she wrote to me. When I asked why she traveled this far, she answered, because I want to help. Meanwhile, other helpers invaded Uvalde. Some of the first ones came in the form of dogs. That's right, canines. Lutheran Church Charities sent comfort dogs to Uvalde to help those undergoing trauma. The animals are trained to bring comfort in crises and have been present in the aftermath of many mass shootings, such as Sandy Hook in 2012. A dog named Hal was at a community center only days after the shooting in Sandy Hook. Immediately, a little boy curled up next to Hal and whispered into the dog's ear. People standing nearby were weeping when they saw this moment. They said it was the first time in four days that the boy had spoken, and he spoke to a dog. Eight of the LCC's golden retrievers were dispatched to Uvalde County. They were Cubby and Devra, Miriam, Abner, Elijah, Gabriel, Joy, and Triton. And while the dogs were busy lending their support, a woman I'll call Angie, a nurse, former paramedic, and soldier, sent me an email. Yesterday, I, went, I wanted to drive to Uvalde and do something. They're really isn't a job for an arthritic lady like me. So I ordered a bunch of pizzas and had them delivered to the Uvalde Police Department. I hope first responders at least nibbled on something. At the same time, across town, the South Texas Blood and Tissue Center set up a blood drive in Uvalde. Texans came out of the wallpaper to donate. The lines outside donation centers were hours long. On an average day, the blood center doesn't collect enough blood to say grace over. By yesterday morning, 1,500 people across Texas had donated blood. One man drove three hours from Austin. Another older couple drove from Oklahoma City. 
A man named Pete drove 65 miles to give blood in Uvalde. Pete's granddaughter survived the school shooting. It's the least we can do, said Pete. Provide a little service for somebody. Meanwhile, the, the Billy Graham rapid response team deployed helpers who were on the scene two hours after the shooting. The chaplains were even asked to deliver death notices to some of the victims' families along with law enforcement officials. As a father of four young children, my heart is heavy, said Josh Holland, team director. We're we're sending our crisis-trained chaplains to comfort people, to listen, cry with them, to share God's love. There are hundreds more helpers inundating the city like veritable tidal wave. Kroger donated 300000 towards food. San Antonio grocery chain uh, donated 500000 to the community, administering meals and supplies. Average Joes and Josephines are showing up with barbecue trailers and coolers, donating food to anyone who needs it. Uh, throngs of ordinary people around the nation are calling Uvalde restaurants and offering to pay for meals for victims, families, and first responders. It said Rosemary Flores, owner of Sunrise Restaurant, People are calling from Idaho, Ohio, Wisconsin, even Canada. I don't know how they got my number, but it's okay. Something else, Sean continues to write. Funeral homes in the community are offering to lay the victims to rest at no cost. The Hillcrest Funeral Home and the Rushing Estes Knowles Mortuary are waiving funeral fees. The average American funeral costs around $8,000. For small mom-and-pop funeral homes, this is a big deal. Their donations add up to about $170,000 in combined funeral fees. Moreover, this offer comes amidst a crisis of funeral supplies issues in Uvalde. Funeral supply issues in Uvalde. It's a small town. Funeral homes don't have inventory for mass burials. In an average year, local funeral homes handle maybe six or seven funerals for children. Nobody was prepared for this. So mortuaries from other communities have offered to help. We've gotten calls from other funeral homes offering their assistance, said Monica Saez Martinez, who works for Hillcrest. The love and support from all over is healing and helpful in so many ways right now. It's just unbelievable. There are more stories like this, Sean writes. Too many to tell. So I'll close here by telling you about a guy named Fred McFeely Rogers, a man who once said this. My mother always said, look for the helpers. There will always be helpers on the sidelines. That's why I think if news programs could make a conscious effort of showing rescue teams, of showing medical people, or anybody who is coming into a place where there's a tragedy, be sure they include that. Because if you look for the helpers, his mom said, you'll know that there's hope. Sean closes with the sons. And right now, I desperately need to believe there is. Friends, we live in a world that seems to be getting more corrupt, more evil. The injustices of the world are are rising, not decreasing. And as followers of Jesus, we are uniquely positioned to stop that tidal wave. We're uniquely called by God to offer hope in the midst of pain and tragedy, to offer healing to those who are hurting, to offer not just food and clothing and shelter, but Jesus. Like Habakkuk, standing before God, confused and 
angry about the injustices of the world, crying out to God? Are we crying out to God? Are we asking him to intervene? Are we willing to step into the darkness to bring the light of Jesus? Because that's the calling we have. This small little book, three chapters out of this entire Bible, one powerful story, one supporting cast member, an ordinary person, with an extraordinary God. And it's the same God we worship today.